Welcome to our next episode of the 5 Moments of Need Performance Matters series. This is Bob Mosier, one of the many co-hosts you'll meet throughout this series. So friends, are you trying to learn more about the 5 Moments of Need? Maybe how to design for them, implement for them, measure them and even sell them as an approach to your enterprise. Well, in the Performance Matters series, we will help you better understand the theory and best practices behind this powerful methodology and offer proven ways to put the five moments of need into practice. Welcome, everyone. This is Conrad Godfredson, and this today is a Leadership Matters podcast. It's my honor to be joined by two of the most remarkable learning leaders on planet Earth. I have an opportunity to meet and to work with groups from organizations all over the world. And for years now, I've had the honor of knowing these two, Nora Whitfield and Katie Coates. Uh, welcome both of you and thank you for being with us. Nora, would you introduce yourself briefly and then Katie? Yeah, thanks for having me, Khan. Uh, my name is Sonora Whitfield. I am the Global Director of Learning at Meta, Meta Platforms, formerly Facebook. Uh, I lead the team that supports global operations. I've been in learning and development for my entire career, 25 plus years. It's my passion. It's what I was called to do. I'm so excited to be able to chat with you guys today. Really looking forward to it. Back to you, Khan. Thank you, Anora Katie. Hi, Khan. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here with you and, and Anora. I'm Katie Coates. I'm Director of Learning at McKinsey & Company, where I look after about 18,000 professionals that provide services uh, to internally to the organization, but also to our, our client service teams. Like Anora, I've been in uh, learning and development for over 25 years, my entire career as well. Love it. Can't, can't get me out of it. Can't pull me away from it. And uh, again, just great to be here with you. Well, it's been my honor to have a front row seat uh, watching both of you lead your learning teams and your organizations uh, from a traditional you know, learning mindset and focus to a performance first approach that is stepping into the workflow and taking learning where it's always needed to be and doing a remarkable job at the whole process. You know, 29%, I'm told that about 29, 30% of senior management roles globally are filled by women. I'm just wondering, what advice do you have for others that you'd give to others who are looking to grow their careers and their abilities to lead learning? Katie? So for me, Khan, I think what, what's really helped me over the years is just having the right mentors and sponsors to help guide me in, in the whole journey. And you know, I've had many, I, you know, I started in my undergraduate, I connected with a university professor who took me under her wing. She said, you have no idea how much potential you have, right? And she just started looking for opportunities for me. And I stayed really connected with her and, you know, until she, unfortunately she passed away, but we were very close and she kind of opened my eyes. And then I met, I started working with another leader in the mid nineties and it was a gentleman and he was a, a CLO and has had many different learning leadership roles. Now he's in academia. And again, he just provided career guidance. He opened up opportunities for me. He coached me on difficult situations and took an interest in me personally too. And he's been amazing. And then, you know, just one more, when I came to McKinsey, started working here, it's a different operating model and I, I in a way of working. And I, I reached out, I met this woman and I connected with her and I'm like, hey, I need some help trying to navigate. And she's like, oh, sure, I'd be happy. And she just has been someone I still talk to her monthly after six years. My point is you had multiple types of mentors along the way that can help you in different ways. And that's okay. 
And don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be afraid to ask for someone to mentor you. People are generous. Wonderful. Lenora. When I think about this role and I think about what it takes to be successful and effective in this role, I think about three dimensions of the role. I think about understanding and having a deep expertise in the discipline itself of learning. I think about the leadership role and hat that you wear. And then I think about the operational aspect of the role. And so I think you have to have all three of those in spades if you're gonna have a chance at being an effective learning leader. I can just share from my kind of career path I've probably done each and every role within my organization over the past 25 years. And and I think that that's made me like the leader that I am today. Just being able to like understand and have empathy for the work itself, understand the various roles. And I've I've stood up and done stand-up facilitation. I've been a learning experience designer. I've been a learning manager and kind of worked my way up the ranks. And I think that really resonates with my team because I know that I've been in their shoes so my advice to, to others who want to be a learning leader, depending on where you are, if you're early career, mid-career, or you're even at director or above level, is to really uh, gain a deep understanding and appreciation for all of the work and the depth and breadth of the work. So if you're early career, spend time doing rotational, get to know all the roles, do stand-up facilitation, do ex- instructional design, go into a P- project management role, do the data analytics piece of it, really round out your experience kind of you know, horizontally throughout the organization and then look at, you know, moving up within the various verticals. I think that will make you a more well-rounded learning leader. At least that's been my path and it's worked well for me. Brilliant. So let me just share an observation I've made with my association with both of you. I also find that both of you are caring leaders. That is, you care about the people with whom you work those that you lead, you champion them. You you really are genuinely, and that is felt. Katie, you've been lifted. You talked about being lifted, but you lift others. I just would like to know kind of your thoughts about that element of leadership, the connectedness and the caring side of the people who make up your team. Honora? Yeah, I think it's important to, I, I feel personally committed to caring for the whole person and not just the work side of the person or the business side, but their people, their individuals, their, their mothers and their father, even in the course of the pandemic, we got in touch with more of the personal side of the individuals because we're all working from home. You've got kids running in on on, uh, Zoom meetings and you really had to, and and a lot of the the struggles and challenges that our team members were facing, they brought them into our, you know, our meetings because they were coming down with COVID or their parents were coming down with COVID or their kids were coming down with COVID. And so you really, as, as leaders, it's important that we care about the whole person and we're always focused on what's doing best for them from both a personal and business perspective. And when I'm mentoring individuals on my team, I'm mentoring them not for the job that they're doing today. I'm mentoring them for the job that they want to do tomorrow, whether that's on my team or on another team, whether that's in our organization or within another, another organization. I just find that you get the most out of people when you care for them on a personal level. Yeah, and I, I kind of look at it as, you know, been doing this for such a long time. It's my obligation now to help the next generation of learning leaders get there. So I spend a lot of time mentoring some of my junior colleagues. I just got two of my um, specialists get promoted to managers and they have significant roles. 
And I'm so excited for them of the opportunities that are ahead for them. I can't tell you how happy I am about that, but it's just constantly working with them, looking at the talent. And, you know, I've even helped people kind of figure out, do you want to stay kind of where you are? Or do you want to look at other opportunities outside of where you are? You know, what's the right role for you as a professional and as an individual? So I, again, again, it's this obligation to build the next set of learning leaders. And how do I set people up for success? I, I have a good friend who once said to me, he said, you know, it's not the role of a leader to maintain the status quo. And both of you have uh, been involved the last few years in significant ways, challenging the status quo as it relates to learning, you know, moving to performance first, you know, looking beyond traditional learning and bringing your team to another place, which is a huge change management change leadership uh, requirement. As you've been shifting and helping your organization shift from learning focus to a performance first focus, what are some of the barriers you faced and some successes that you found in that journey? Katie, do you want to start and then Anora? Sure. So I think, you know, yeah, like you said, Con, in organizations, kind of in-person learning is still a very traditional, very loved method of learning. It really is. And we're no different. In-person learning meets a really big need for us in terms of community, connection, um, celebration, that transition, the, the leadership mindsets. And it's what our people really love. And it's what they think about learning. And there's a lot of misconceptions, I think, you know, performance support, there's so many different definitions of it. And there's misconceptions about what it is and what it, what it can and can't do. So that's some of the things we've been kind of working through and how we're doing it is, you know, Nora, we were talking about this, the speed of change and how everything changes. You can't possibly learn everything you need to in an in-person classroom program. You can't, right? And so trying to open up the aperture to other ways of learning and, and learning in the workflow. And I think some of the things that we've done is, you know, we found a couple leaders that are really willing to take a risk that like this idea, this notion, we talked to them about it. And, you know, we started with a project. We picked something that wasn't, you know, too high profile, too high risk. And we're like, let's do this. Let's learn from it, experiment. And we're in that crawl phase con of the crawl, walk, run. And we did that. And we had great success with that project. We learned a lot from it, had a lot of high results. And now we've moved where another organization of 3000 people saw what they did and the results that they have. And they're like, we want that. And so we just worked with another group to build a, a digital coach for a group of 3000 people to provide consistent processes and access to learning in the flow of work. And they're excited. And I just had a call today with yet another group that heard about that one and now they want it. So I think it's that experimentation, finding the right projects, showing success, and that's building on performance support in the organization. There are a lot of barriers. There are a lot of uh, obstacles or a lot of objections. I like to think of them in terms of like technical obstacles and challenges and people challenges and barriers and process, if you will. I'm going to probably spend most of the time on the people part because I think that's probably something that we don't often think about when we're trying to transform an organization. So I think that the barriers or the challenge with implementing performance support and workflow learning is that some senior leaders have never heard of it before. You know, what's this five moments of need thing? What's workflow learning? What's learning in the flow of work and performance support in two clicks and 10, 10 seconds? And also some of our internal team members have never heard of it before, right? So there's this huge change management effort that you're, you're really embarking upon. 
once you kind of sell them on the benefits of, of all of this, they get it and they want it and they want it yesterday. Um, it comes with a price tag and you can't do it overnight. So that, those are other barriers, right? So how do you get the funding and how do you prove the ROI for it? Once you are able to get the funding and then it's, you now you're trying to set realistic expectations on what it's going to take and how many resources you need and how much time you need before you're going to have it in place and you're going to reap the benefits of it. And so I think that those are just things that you have to be really um, explicit about and really take the time to do it and do it right and not overpromise and underdeliver and really take your time with the road mapping. Um, I'll probably talk about this a little bit later, go into more detail, but I think that, uh, again, it's, it's selling them on all of the benefits, setting realistic expectations that it cannot happen overnight, and then choosing one thing at a time to go and implement. And that's what we've done. We, we have five or six components in our technology architecture. We're focusing on basically one per year, every 12 months to get that in, get it done really well, get the adoption that we're looking for before we move on to the next solution. What has impressed me as I've watched you working with your team, Anora, is that you're not only bringing you know, your leadership along, your, your team along, and then looking out to the organization and preparing them, but you're also preparing your team to be able to scale, knowing that you've got to do things differently to be able to meet the challenges of today. And so, you know, in the last two years, you've made tremendous headway on learning content management and single source publishing and and getting that system in place. I think you've been breaking through some of the roadblocks, well, many of the roadblocks that organizations have stumbled into and onto and and lost their way. Uh, but, But it's been impressive to me, the degree in which you've been laying the foundation, you know, you're crawling and walking, but at some point you're going to be able to run you know, Mm -hmm. because of of what you're doing. And that leads me to both of these learning leaders folks have been in pursuit and are in pursuit of their PhDs. And Nora, you've been focusing on an area that is fundamental to being able to lift an organization. Would you just share a little bit about that and why you personally been uh, going after a PhD? And then Katie, if you just report on your journey and where you are right now. I'm getting an EDD, an educational doctorate in learning science and technology at Pepperdine University. Go waves. (laughs) Um, uh, And I've been on this journey for a few years now. The reason why I wanted to pursue the degree is because I wanted to have a deep knowledge of learning as a science. And I wanted to understand it from a scientific perspective, how people actually learn. I also wanted to have a deeper understanding of how technology can aid in that. And people like UConn, believe it or not, have inspired me to pursue this advanced level of education because I just, every time I hear from you and I hear about you talking about uh, memory and, and all the things that you talk about, cognitive load and all of that, it just sparks something inside of me to want to go and study it for myself. And I also wanted to take more of an evidence-based approach to developing learning strategies especially at the organizational enterprise level. So, you know, you spend a lot of time in doctoral programs, reading, reading, and reading, reading a lot of research, reading a lot of case studies, um, talking to a lot of people, interviewing a lot of people about their experiences and what's worked well and what hasn't. And so as a learning leader, 
you know, when you're working for for-profit organizations, you can't do a lot of experimentation. You really have to have confidence in your approach and what you're going to be going after. Uh, so really the doctoral program has helped to shape me as a learning leader and my approach to organizational learning. Um, my dissertation is on knowledge management inter-organizational multi-directional knowledge management. And it's basically based on the meta learning platforms um, use case. We outsource a lot of our work. We, you know, in this particular use case, we're working with uh, over a dozen vendors all over the world, tens of thousands of learners. And so it's all about looking at how um, knowledge management needs to propagate within the enterprise kind of horizontally, but also vertically to companies that you may outsource work to. And then how you need to close that feedback loop and how you need to get some of that knowledge back from those suppliers back into your organizations. It needs to be two-way, multi-directional. And I just believe that knowledge is the firm's you know, intellectual capital. And you know, we need to be able to retain it. We need to be able to share it. We need to be able to grow it within the organization. And that's what gives us our competitive advantage. That's what keeps us on the leading edge in industry. So I think it's a critical element for any for-profit organization. That's the reason why I'm studying it. I also have an MBA. So half of me is like a business person and the other half of me is a learning person. And so it's the perfect marriage of those two things because I've always worked, everything I've done has been in workplace learning, not in academia. So it's all about how can we develop the talent that we have in our organizations to help us to achieve business goals. And so everything that I do is really in service to that. Thank you. Katie? So I'm just a, a learning geek. I have to tell you, a learning nerd. So I got my uh, master's degree in instructional design. At, when it was over, I was kind of depressed because it was over. I just, I love school. So I always had this dream and goal of going back and getting my PhD. And, and again, that whole notion of paying it back, like maybe teaching some courses or things like that was always, you know, top of mind for me. I just did my final, my oral defense on Monday. So I'm a little excited. Okay. Um, on Monday, So if I will be able to call myself doctor in a few months here, but I've technically finished. But I, I, my program is in human development at a field and graduate university, a very multidisciplinary program. You can pretty much shape and study whatever you're really important or passionate about. And right at the time when I had start honing in on my dissertation, I was working on a performance support project. And again, Con and Bob kind of inspired me to take a look at this, right? We had such great results and I couldn't figure out if we could get such great results, why weren't more organizations doing this? Um, I found some survey data that 21% of the 250-ish people that were surveyed claimed to be doing performance support. I'm like, well, why aren't more people doing this? So I focused on the adoption of performance support. I spoke with 17 like amazing organizations that gave me a lot of insight and information about you know, their decisions to uh, bring in performance support in some of the early adoption phases that was then synthesized into my uh, report out. And it's just been an incredible, incredible journey. I'm very excited that I'm finally done. And Anora, I'll be in your corner to help you get through it. <laughs> I need all the help I can get, Katie. I'll take you up on that offer. <laughs> well, I have no doubt that you will be there. I do know that you are busy. Both of you are. And so thank you for taking time from the important work that you're doing and sharing some thoughts with us in this podcast. 
again, I just want to say, I don't know two more remarkable leaders. And it is an honor to, to be your friends and to be able to associate and to see what the two of you are doing. Any, any last words to our friends who are listening in? I would say just do it. Don't hold back. Just, just get started and do it. It will unfold and happen. It's not as crazy. You know, Nora, maybe it is in your case because we were talking about how complex it is, but you can, you can do it. You can actually bring performance support into your organization and make it work. Yeah, um, I would just echo that plus plus one, just do it. Um, you can do it low tech, you can do it high tech, you can do it anything in between. Um, it is how people learn. They need scaffolds, they need more knowledgeable others around them. Um, just get in there, experiment, test the waters, reach out to others who are, have, are doing it and who have been successful, glean, learn from their experiences. We're all here to help you in this kind of community of practice, if you will. Um, and I'm looking forward to hearing your stories if there's a way for you to kind of share uh, what you're doing. I'd love to hear it. Thank you both. And thank you for listening in on this Leadership Matters podcast. Uh, we'll, I'm sure, be hearing more from these two amazing leaders. Thank you both for joining us. Thank Thanks, John. Take care. Bye. Well, that's it for this episode of the Five Moments of Need Performance Matters series. We look forward to future conversations around how to best put the five moments of need into practice. We welcome your feedback and can be reached on Twitter using my Twitter handle at BMOSH, as well as our Five Moments of Need website, which is www.5momentsofneed.com. We hope you're finding these helpful and will subscribe to future episodes. Have a great day, friends.